Well, this morning we are in our eighth week in a series called Discovering Your Shape. And by discovering your shape, we mean that that God has uniquely gifted and shaped every one of us for his glory, others' good, and your joy. And he shaped you using a handful of things. We use this acronym SHAPE because it it just makes it easy for us to to remember and to think of all the ways that God is continually shaping and refining us and the ways that he's blessed us and and given gifts to us. First, the S, your spiritual gifts. He's, He's given you spiritual gifts if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you only have a HAPE. You don't have spiritual gifts. These are given to people who have put their full trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, make us new. And and part of that process, he gives us gifts. And we spent some time talking about that and exploring gifts. And maybe you, hopefully, in your your small group had the opportunity to talk about your spiritual gifts and and what they are, what you think they are, and, and how God's using you. In that way, in a, in a particular way. The second thing, though, the H is your heart. Where's your heart, Kirk? I think I know where your heart is, where your passions are. That was pretty clear this morning, wasn't it? And a and heart, some of you have that same heart. You, you have that heartbeat for, for young children and to see them uh, rescued and redeemed. That's, that's why so many of you give uh, and serve in our kids' ministry, and so many of you give financially to the orphanage we support in India. Uh, kind of kind of rescuing on the opposite side of that, where keeping these boys from getting trapped into in, in that type of a lifestyle and taking advantage of these kids. And what is your heart? What are you passionate about? God's planted that in your heart. What what turns your crank? What gets you fired up? And, and what is it that it's a heart, it's a passion, but it's one of those things that brings God great glory and others great good. And in the process brings you joy. How about the A? The A is for your abilities. What are you good at? You're good at something. You are. Every one of you have abilities. If nothing else, you were able to wake up, get dressed, and get here today. That's a good ability. What what abilities do you have? What are you good at? What talents has God gifted you with? And then last week, we talked about your personality, your personal style, your temperament. We were talking this morning with some of the guys. How many of you uh, remembered the story of the family last Sunday? You know, and, and waking up and how everybody was in a different rush and they show up late for church. And I know none of you did today, though. So you were all right on time. You probably didn't experience any of that, right? But what's your, what's your personality? What's your personal style? How do you interact with other people? That's going to influence the way you go about ministry and the way uh, when you understand how other people function, how you can best care for them. Well, this morning we're on to the last letter. We're on to the E, which is experiences. Your experiences. God uses every one of your experiences. Do you believe that? Good and bad. Fun and not so fun. Lovely and ugly. He uses every single one to shape you. He, we'll see later, he never wastes an experience. He never does when we yield to him. What are some of your experiences? 
He uses them to shape you into the person that he desires you to be. And here's what's curious about this is by adding experience to our shape, there's a certain sense in which you're not done yet. You're not stuck. Why? Because you've got more experiences yet to come. You're still breathing, right? That means God's not done shaping you. He's still using what's going on in your life now for someone else's good and for his glory and for your joy in the future. Even if right now it isn't a great future or it doesn't seem like a great future to you. Well, a few observations about experience. A few observations. First off, there's, there's certain things in my experience that, that are outside my control. That are outside my control. Certain things are outside of your control. You cannot control it. There's, there's good things outside of my control. There's bad things outside of my control. Bad things. A, a drunk driver hits your car. Is that in your control? Totally outside of your control, but that's going to cause an incredible experience for you, right? Probably a painful one. You, you lose your job because the company's downsizing. Is that in your control? No, it's totally outside of your control. Someone in your family gets chronically ill. Can you control that? Outside of your control. But all of these things are part of your experiences. Maybe you apply for a job or a benefit or something and you're stuck in a waiting game and, and nobody's calling you back. You go through some other trial and it's just, it's, it's totally outside of your control. Well, at the same time, there's some experiences that are inside of our control. There's some things I can control, right? The, the choices I make, good or bad, I can choose whether or not to get up in the morning. I can choose whether or not to give an hour of my time to come to church and, and to worship together and to study God's word. And there's certain things that are also in my control. There's, there's personal responsibility, right? But the reality is, in reality, all of your abilities are both. They're both outside of your control. And there's an aspect of your experience. I said abilities, didn't I? Your experience that part of it is outside of your control. Part of that experience is inside of your control. Every single one, you have an aspect of it that you cannot control and that you can control. You know, think of it this way. I work incredibly hard to achieve a position at work or start a business. And that's all in my control, right? I can put in all the work that's needed, but Ultimately, it's outside of my control, whether or not five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, the market still demands what my business is producing and whether I'm going to have a job. No matter how much I control and put into it, there's some parts of it I can't control. I can study and I can be, students, right? you, can, you can study, you can be the most attentive, perfect student in the world. But you'll find out, you get to college, you'll write a philosophy paper for your uh, philosophy prof. And no matter how hard you work, no matter how smart you are, if he doesn't agree with your perspective, your paper's garbage. I speak from personal experience. <laughs> you're, you're done, right? And, and I can control how much work I put in, but I can't control the end game. I can't control his perspective. There's certain things I can't control, certain things I can't. I can do everything possible to help somebody that I love. I can do everything I can to help them change, to, to, to work in their life, to care for them and to love them. But ultimately, it's, it's outside of my control if they're really going to respond, isn't it? 
And so it's both. It's both. Ultimately, you know, what, what it really comes down to is a series that we went through a few years ago where I choose my attitude. Paul says in Philippians 4, 12 through 13 that he's found the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. He says, I have found the secret. Do you remember what it is? He says it right after that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In the Old Testament, there's a very vivid picture of people making choices and choosing what they could choose in the midst of an experience that they couldn't choose. The the people in the Old Testament, they're rescued by Moses out of slavery in Egypt, right? And they're marched out into the wilderness. They cross the Red Sea. They they see all kinds of things happen. And what, what happens is that these people start making choices, and their choices about in, re- in response to their experience yields a wilderness experience. It could have yielded a promised land experience, but instead that was delayed for 40 years. And they were stuck in the wilderness because of the choices that they made, what they could control about their experience. So yeah, so some things are within my control. Some, the next slide is some, or is actually both are. And so here's some examples of that wilderness experience. First, the things that are in my control. Outside of control. First thing that's outside of my control is when things aren't going how I want them to go. I can't control it when everything isn't going exactly the way I want it to go. Can you? No, you, you can't do anything about it. You might think you can, but you can't. Well, what, what is in my control in that situation? First, there's two choices. There's the first one. I can, I can choose to complain. I can go, this stinks. I hate this situation. This is what the Israelites did in the wilderness. You go read through numbers. They, they just complained. And, and oh, why, are we in, why didn't we just stay in Egypt? Why didn't we just have that? It was a situation out of their control. But their choice, the thing they had control of over their experience, they chose to complain. It was also within their control, though. Instead of complaining, they could have chose to be thankful. They could have chosen to be thankful. When you're in a situation you can't control, do you choose to complain or do you choose to be thankful? That's going to shape your experience and that's going to shape you. If I choose to complain, my heart gets bitter and angry. If I choose to be thankful, I'm letting God continue to mold me and shape me fuller into who he wants me to be. Do you really want to see your shape used in a power? Make the right choice here about some of your experiences. Here's the second one that faced them in the wilderness. They began to covet. How about about this? When when somebody has more than me or I don't have what I want. You can't control that, right? You can't control it if somebody else has more. You can't control it if you don't have all the things that you want and desire. You can't control that. However, you can control, again, your response. You can either choose to covet like they did in the wilderness. What didn't they have? They didn't have food. So what did they do? They, they coveted. They, boy, you remember the fish in Egypt? It was so good. They were slaves. You remember the food? Oh, it was fantastic. And they just began to covet. And lust for things that, that wasn't theirs. They could have chosen instead to be content. If if it's a situation you can't control, I I don't have certain things or somebody else has more, I can either choose to to covet what I don't have or I can choose to be content. That's going to shape 
my experience. In, in this situation, it would either leave you in the wilderness or it would move you toward the promised land. How about this one? When someone else or something doesn't live up to my standards, can you control that? You can't control it. You think you can. You think if I nag him enough, he'll pick up his clothes. I'm reading Hannah's mind. He'll pick up his clothes. You you can't control somebody else. When they don't live up to your standards, to, to what you would have them be, what are your choices? You've got two. That part of the experience is out of control, but here's what's in. I can either, I can choose to be critical is my first choice, and I can be critical of that person. And I can find faults in them, and I can have no view at all toward their good. This is what the Israelites did toward Moses. And toward their leadership. And Moses, why did you lead us here? (laughs) Moses like, I didn't want to go in the first place. Like if you could read the whole, when you can read the whole story later, you understand, I didn't even want to go. God appeared to me in a burning bush and he he shoved me in. And I'm with (laughs) you. I can choose to be critical or I can choose to love them, which... First Peter 4 tells us covers a multitude of sins. I can choose to love. I can choose to be critical or I can choose to love. Here's another thing out of my control that will be part of my experience is the future. What's the future going to look like? I don't know. Marty McFly comes back later this year, though. He shows up sometime in October, right? And back to the future, too. You can't control the future. When I think about the future too much, I've got two choices then about that experience. I can choose to doubt. I can doubt God is sovereign. I can doubt that he really cares. I can doubt that he's going to care for me. I can doubt that he's going to come through. Or I can choose faith and I can choose to trust him. And you can start to see where these choices, this part, I have control over my experience. And there's a part of this that God does in us, and there's a part of this that we choose. And and in a certain sense, based on, I mean, God is still sovereign. He's in total control. But in a mystery I don't quite understand, still in the sense that I have a choice, God still uses my choice to shape me. Ultimately, for his good. So when I make the choice, in, in this case, to doubt God, who ultimately is it hurting? It's meaning I've got to go through more experience to where I learn finally to have faith in him. To believe God's word and act upon it no matter how I feel because he promises a good result and God always keeps his promises. There was a fifth one they went through and out of my control. It's similar to the other ones, the critical spirit, but I can't control who's in authority over me. Other than the sense of, I guess my job I can. I can quit my job and go work somewhere else. I could choose it that way, but... Ultimate authority, I can't choose who my father is. I can't choose who my mother is. I can't, uh, I can't choose those things. And so I have a choice. I can either rebel against that authority, and now my experience, again, it's a wilderness experience, or I can choose to submit to them as I submit to the Lord. Do you, do you see where I'm going here? Before we really get into talking about different experiences and looking at at some people in Scripture and their experiences, you have to understand that that there's a certain sense in which God is sovereign over all of this, but somehow in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, he gives us the opportunity to make choices of how we respond even to the things we can't control. 
And how that response, again, shapes our experience and shapes us into the person he desires us to be. And as I think you'll see, it it shapes us even in the ability then to use our shape to serve and love others. Because when I make a wrong choice about my suffering, and I choose to complain and feel sorry for myself, whatever else, and it's understandable, right? But I make that wrong choice and I'm just stuck there. I make the right choice, though, and I trust God, and I believe God will bring me through. I put my faith in him. He shapes me, and now suddenly I can start to use my shape and my suffering to help other people who are also suffering and say, here's the way out. Here's what God's going to do with that. You're going to make it. But it starts with that choice that's in my control. So I want to look this morning at five areas of experience. Five areas of experience that all of us have. Everyone in this room. First off is educational experience. And each one of these, we're going to look at an example in scripture of somebody with a similar experience. Where you'll see this isn't just something that we're making up, but this is, this is just part of life. Educational experience. In other words, your education, your school, this could mean... Uh, work or continuing education. This could mean training for your job. This could mean uh, just stuff you learned in the garage from your dad. This could mean whatever. It could mean the school of hard knocks education, right? What have you learned formally, informally? Uh, You see this all over scripture. Luke, Luke was a doctor. Doctors go to school for a long time. Luke had incredible education, and you can see that in the way that he writes. He writes eloquently compared to some of the other authors of Scripture. Jesus had an education. Many believe that that Jesus, when he was young and exiled into Egypt, uh, possibly spent his younger years in Alexandria being trained in their schools there. And that's part of the reason he could speak different languages and that he could read. And I mean, he came from a small, tiny little Hickville, Nazareth. I don't say that condescending. I just mean trying to impose that it's a small town. A couple hundred people, maybe. Not a lot of educated people in this small town. Yet Jesus is there and he can read and write. That's interesting. He was probably educated. I tend to lean towards that while he was in Egypt. But Paul, we see this in scripture. Paul especially, he studied under a rabbi named Gamaliel. And Paul was incredibly incredibly educated and trained. In fact, Gamaliel, I don't know if I'm saying his name right or not, but he was considered the foremost rabbi of that day. He was part of the Sanhedrin and uh, incredibly respected among the Jewish people. If you got your Bible, maybe turn to Acts 22. Acts chapter 22. And in Acts chapter 22, I'll set up the scene for you. Paul is coming back Um, from one of his journeys of planting churches, and he's coming back to report in Jerusalem. And he gets there, and uh, while he's there, he's in the temple. He had even been warned not to go back by other people who prophesied, saying, don't go, Paul, they're going to put you in chains. It's going to be ugly. And, And he's going back, and he gets into the temple, and suddenly people see him. In fact, back in chapter 21, verse 27, 28, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! 
This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. If you understand the the geography here, the, the Temple Mount is here, and then there's also a barracks for the Roman army that's like right next to it. And in fact, it's a little bit taller, and they can see down into the temple to keep an eye on the Jewish people and make sure they're not causing too much of a ruckus. And so basically they drag him out of the temple right next door into the barracks. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, it would have been a, a, a building with a, a, likely a bunch of steps going up to it. He said to the tribune, Paul did, he said, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Paul speaking to him in Greek. Are you not the Egyptian? Then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the uh, of the assassins out into the wilderness, there was another guy who had caused a riot. They thought this was the same guy again. Paul says, no, I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Sicilia, citizen of no obscure city. It'd be kind of like if you're being dragged into the American embassy overseas and they, they think for whatever reason, I don't know why they would do this to you, but they, they think you're a criminal for some reason, right? And all of a sudden you start saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm an American. And they go, you're an American? That's what they're saying to Paul. You're you're a Greek? You, you're, you're, and he says, I'm a Roman citizen. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, meant, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. He, isn't, he knew Greek. He knew Hebrew. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He's like, I know why you're so zealous to kill me. I I know exactly why you drug me out. I was educated in the same way. I was educated just like you, Paul says. He had the same experience as them. at At the feet of the most renowned rabbi around. He understood the passion for the temple and the passion for purity there. And the desire to, to get it and to defend God's honor. That was part of his educational experience. We'll see more from Paul in a little bit. So maybe keep your thumb there. We'll be back to that passage. But, but what about you? What, what educational experiences do you have that God would use for his glory, others good and your joy? Some of you go, I went to college, but I'm not using my degree. Yeah, but God gave you an education. There's something about that that God used to shape you. 
for me, I studied architecture before I went to Moody and studied uh, Bible. What did I study? Theology. <laughs> Didn't study it well, evidently. But before, you know, and, and so I could look at that and I go, man, what a wasted year of my life. It wasn't what I ended up doing. And I studied all that stuff and I, I met. But you know what God did during that time? That's where I had the experience with the philosophy prof and, and got the understanding that that there's a whole lot more that people believe and a whole lot of other views than my own from a small town in Iowa that I got to be prepared for if I'm going to ever do ministry. And that there are people who are just utterly and completely lost in need of a savior. I also, there I, I got involved in ministry with Campus Crusade and, and ultimately that's what propelled me into ministry and to transfer to Moody and to, to go into full-time ministry because of those experiences. If I hadn't gone to Iowa State, that would have never happened. And my heart wouldn't have been broken this week when they lost in the tournament. I had to bring that up. But you have educational experiences. Here's the second one. You also have vocational experiences. You have vocational experiences. What jobs have you held? What jobs have you had? God will use that. He will use that in your understanding of how to relate to people, care for people, know what other people go through. For for me, I I worked in high school. I worked in a grocery store for three years, bagging groceries and working in customer service. Working in customer service, I started to understand maybe for the first time how to deal with somebody who doesn't like you because you're the face to them of everything evil. You know, my eggs were cracked. You probably bagged them. You know what I mean? Just, and, and God used that experience then for me to learn to be patient with people, to learn to, to care for them, to put some of their needs first. And in college, I worked on uh, a handful of odd jobs, but at Moody, I worked on our yearbook staff and uh, learned all kinds of things and worked for a publishing house and learned all kinds of things about publishing and graphic design. And God uses that all the time now. In my life, creating things for the church that we would... What are some of your vocational experiences? God would use those. For Paul, if you flip back a few pages in Acts, he he had a vocation that supported his ministry. In chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Paul was a tent maker, so he funded his ministry. He made tents. Some of you, what's your trade? You're an accountant. You're a manager. You're a designer. You're a farmer. You're a driver. You're a teacher. What, what What do you do? How did Paul get connected with... Aquila, because they were of the same trade. God's going to use your vocation to put you in contact with people that, guess what? I'm never going to come in contact with, unless you'd bring them here or take me to work, you know, take your pastor to work day. And not only, but then also the skills of your vocation is going to put you in contact with people to do ministry. Paul was a tent maker, Luke was a doctor, Matthew was a tax collector, Jesus was a carpenter, Peter was a fisherman. 
Bezalel, we saw him a couple weeks ago. He was an artisan. The list goes on and on. What's your vocation? David was a shepherd. Go read about David and Goliath. Why was David so confident that he could kill Goliath? Because of his job as a shepherd where he had killed lions with his bare hands. I can take that guy. Because of his experience. You have educational, vocational, spiritual is another one that you have. Spiritual experiences. Daniel dreamt dreams and had visions. Elijah saw fire come down from heaven. Here's Paul's experience. Flip back ahead again now to chapter 22 while he's giving his account on the steps of the barracks. And you start in verse 4. He says, remember they're trying to kill him. He says, I'm just like you. He goes, I persecuted the way, this way to the death. In other words, those who are the, the people you're trying to persecute because they don't believe, uh, you don't think they believe what you believe. They follow this guy named Jesus. It, it was called the way. You, you persecute. He's like, I did the same thing. I persecuted them. In, in fact, at delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus. He's recounting what happened to him. He's giving his testimony here. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to have them delivered, to have them arrested, to have them killed because of their faith. He says, I was on my way and I drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me, Paul said, saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that's appointed for you to do. And since I couldn't see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he answered, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. He says, For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Paul's hiding out in the temple thinking, this is my only chance to not be killed by all the Christians that I persecuted. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he still said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. At that point, the crowd gets in an uproar as soon as he mentions the Gentiles and it's kind of the end of Paul's speech. But Paul had a spiritual experience there where he encountered Jesus Christ. 
Peter had dreams, David, through worship and music. Moses saw the burning bush. Abraham saw God provide. When he took Isaac up to be sacrificed, God provided a way out. Joshua, he accompanies Moses up Mount Sinai, and they both experience the presence of the Lord on Mount Sinai. How, how have, what, what sort of spiritual experiences have you had? And I don't say that in like a, like a weird way, right? Because we could, we could talk about some weird things. That would, what experience have you had that have pointed you to Jesus Christ? For me, I grew up in a very traditional church, learning all kinds of things about God. I memorized creeds. I memorized writings about the creeds. Writings about the writings about the creeds. All kinds of stuff. And, and I had every Thursday night from the time I was in first grade until I was in eighth grade, I'd ride the bus. The bus dropped us off at the church, and we'd spend two hours there studying every night for, what's that, eight, nine years? And yet it wasn't until I was in high school after I had learned all these things about God that I got involved in a youth group. And and for the first time in my life, I started to hear not that God cares about what I do, but he cares what Jesus has done for me and that, that that I would put my trust in Jesus Christ. That it's more about just knowing about God. I need to know him. I had to have a relationship, not just a religion. I had to put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ and become a Christian and yield myself and go, I surrender. I, I, I need a savior. I have no hope on my own. I can go to church all I want. I can memorize all the creeds, all the Bible verses, all the songs. I can do it all. But it, Jesus, if you don't change me, I'm sunk. And that happened for me when I was in high school at a, some of you guys, I think I've told this story before, at a Petra concert. Anybody remember? Those of you who are Christians for a long time, Petra? It was a Christian rock band, old guys with long hair and tight leather pants. It was weird. But I went along, and for the first time that night is when I heard about this relationship piece after having years of learning about the Bible and about God. And I remember grabbing my friend Chris and saying, I got to go down there. And I went down, and I trusted Jesus Christ. And all it's, it's a blur to me now. It was all tears. And the life has never been the same since then. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like a radical, like I was totally different when I got home that night. But I'm telling you, from that point on, I... My heart just began to explode in not just knowledge about God, but who God was and what he had done for me. Have you had that experience? Would you share that with people? Have you had the experience of God providing for you in miraculous ways? Share that with people. Use that for God's glory, for others' good. I'm telling you, there's joy when you you see how God used that, and he's going to use it not just for me, but for someone else. And if you've never had that experience, trust Jesus Christ. The Bible says simply you repent of your sin and turn to him. That's a biblical word that just means turn. It means I turn from my way of doing it and I turn to Jesus. And I trust him and I become a Christian. Because you, listen, you can spend, if I would have never had that experience, I could have spent my entire life in church, born in the church, baptized in the church, married in the church, die in the church, funeral in the church, and spend eternity in hell because I wasn't in Christ. Turn to Jesus Christ. Be in Christ. Be saved and share that experience with others. So you have educational, vocational, spiritual. We saw Paul's example. I have a handful of others, but I'll keep going. How about ministry experiences? Do you have any ministry experiences where you've served God and served other people? 
Again, Joshua was Moses' assistant, right? He had experience with the good and bad of ministry. He saw God do incredible things when Moses was leading and part the Red Sea and lead God's people. And yet he also saw the really ugly side of ministry. When they come down the mountain after a spiritual high, they come down and the people are are worshiping and dancing around this golden cow. And Moses gets angry. And we read that a couple weeks ago as well. Joshua is a great example of that. Paul obviously had experience doing ministry and serving alongside others. Get involved. Students, you know, one of the biggest reasons I found out I was called into ministry, or, or maybe you would discover how God would use you to serve, is I just started serving. I, I, I could kind of play guitar. I got a guitar for Christmas my senior year of high school, and I could play three chords. I was terrible. It was not good. I'm still pretty average. But I went and started doing music for Bible school because in my church, we didn't have music. There was no music for Bible school. It was, it was a lady playing the piano like one note at a time. And it was, it was like, well, nobody knew him. It was, I'm bagging on her. I shouldn't do that. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't fun for anybody. And I'm like, this could be fun. And I realized God had opened my heart by that point to, to the truth of the gospel. And, and I had these abilities. And so I just started doing it. I don't even know if anybody asked me to be real honest. I just started serving in ministry. And the next thing I go, God uses that experience now to realize, well, maybe I, I do okay with, with kids and with, with students. And I end up in youth ministry. And my experience in ministry at, with Campus Crusade, I, what are some of your experiences in ministry? God would use those. And then we get to the last one, the fifth one here, painful experiences. I mean, I can see how God uses all these other experiences, right, to shape me. I mean, I can see how education shapes me and makes me into a different person. I can see how the jobs that I've held in the past shape me and make me into a different person. I can see how, uh, you know, trusting Jesus, becoming a Christian, uh, different times in worship shape me, different aha moments where I understand his words shape me, those experiences. I I see clearly how a ministry experience kind of, more kind of job training in a sense, right? That, how that shapes me, but what about the pain? How, how does the painful things shape me? Well, there's examples of it all throughout Scripture. One that I come to right away when I think about this is Ruth. You know the story of Ruth? It's a short book. You could read it in about 20 minutes if you sat down later to read it. And, and Ruth uh, gets married and her and her husband and her husband's brother and his wife and her husband's mom, her mother-in-law, take off and they leave because of the famine and they move to Moab. Or actually they were there. And then Ruth, Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Ruth marries the guy and they're there. He dies. His brother dies. And they had moved because their dad had died, or he had died there. I'm getting all messed up. Thank you. You're keeping me in check, Sandy. I appreciate it. Got too many stories in my head today. But they're there, and, and all three of these women now have lost their husband. One of them has lost both of her sons, her only sons. And Ruth, who had lost a husband, had a choice. She could, it was out of her control, right? So she could, could doubt God 
They go, God, why, why did this happen? Or she could have faith that God would still provide for her. She could um, complain about her circumstance or she could be thankful for, she, she could covet that she didn't have anyone now or she could be content with where God had her in life. And because of her choices, I believe, God starts to use her. She goes with Naomi back into, into Israel. She accompanies her and, and comforts her and cares for her. And out of her pain brought comfort to her mother-in-law, who had also lost not only her husband, but her two sons. And any chance of grandchildren. Ruth's a great example of someone who used their pain and their hurt. And, and I would say there's a difference between knowledge and experience of pain, right? Because when we experience it, when we go through suffering, it's more than just when I know about it. Paul, for example, we read earlier in chapter 21, I was going to read that now, but we already read it, in chapter 21 leading up to 22, where, where he... And even in 22, then he he talks about, in 22, he talks about the ways that he had persecuted Christians and people in the way. He knew about suffering and about persecution and what it looked like. He had watched Stephen be stoned while he held the coats of all the other men throwing the rocks. But you read in chapter 21, now Paul's experiencing it. He's experiencing the pain. He's experiencing what's going on. He himself is being beaten and persecuted for his faith. There's a difference between just knowing about it and experiencing it. What is it for you? Some of your painful experiences where maybe at one time you knew, but now you've experienced it. For for me, before... uh, Before last fall, I knew what it was like. I mean, I, I knew people who had, who had lost their dad or seen somebody suffer with cancer in that way. But until going through it, I had never experienced it. Or for Hannah and I to lose our child last fall, too. We knew about people who had lost a child, but we never... To lose that, have the miscarriage, if, if you know the story, I'll be glad to tell you later. But... Um, But to experience that at that time is incredibly different than just knowing about it. And this week has been hard studying this, and I've kind of left the pain piece a little smaller on purpose because, quite honestly, it's painful. Because I'm faced with these choices. Things that are out of my control, and I can go, I can get angry with God. And and I can say, why did you allow that to happen? What did we do to deserve that? Why that? I could do that and I could be incredibly angry and I could doubt him. Or I can have faith and know that there's been other painful things in my past that over time God has redeemed and used those to help me care for and love other people. Even though right now, in the moment, we were talking about this with the guys this morning, you know, there's been opportunity for that and God's given me opportunity for that. But there's, there's also a big part of it where I just go, I don't want to right now, (laughs) but I still have to trust him and know that as I take those steps of faith and as I'm obedient and that God's using that to shape me for his glory, 
for others' good. And even though I don't see it right now for my joy, I believe that with all my heart. Sorry, I told myself I wasn't going to cry. What, what is it for you? What are the painful experiences you've gone through that, that you're going through right now? There's not a soul in this room that doesn't have something that comes to mind pretty quick. Are, are you yielding that thing to God that he would use that to shape you and that you wouldn't let, let yourself get bitter, let yourself get angry, but instead let yourself be moldable? Because here's two things to never forget about your experiences. By the way, I added a sixth one there in case there was any other category. Just personal experience. You can just throw whatever you want into that bucket, okay? So you get an extra, extra one for your money today. But in light of all those experiences, those five things, and even just personal experience in general, two things to never forget about your experiences, good or bad. Number one, God never wastes an experience. When you yield it to him. Never. Never. He will never waste it. How do I know that? The thing you're going through right now that's really hard. If you would yield to him, he will not waste that. Romans 8.28. Sometimes this verse gets thrown around when... We're suffering in in kind of a cavalier way, but to try to comfort people, and it's not always comforting in the moment, but it is nonetheless true. We know, Paul writes, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How many things does that include? Everything. For those who are called according to his purpose. We forget what comes right after this verse. That's all that will be on the screen. But let me keep reading verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, they didn't catch him by surprise. He also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. He's going to use this to, to conform us into God's, into his son's image, to be like Jesus Christ, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it, God who, it, it is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution... Curiously, Paul had been through all of these things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness or danger or sword. As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in Jesus Christ. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. He will always use your experiences because he loves you. Because he loves you. 
The question is, what will your choice be in the midst of that experience? Will it be to resist him or to let him work? The second thing to remember is this, that your experience is good and bad because the other part of bad experiences is things that not just, sometimes it's things are out of our control. Sometimes it's things we do. Sometimes it's things done to us. Your experiences, good or bad, explain you. They shape you. They explain who you are, right? They, they explain how you go about life. They explain a lot of things about you. However, don't buy into the lie that they define you because they may explain you. They do not define you. Your identity is not in your experience. Your identity is not in your suffering. Your identity is not in your achievement. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And your experiences explain you, but God's going to take those to shape you and to continue to restore your broken mirror as you image God and to continue to build your identity in him, in Jesus Christ. And maybe like Paul, as you would yield your experiences to him and and really all of your shape to him, When you go through whatever it is, whether it's hardship or joy or success or failure or maybe great pain, you'd realize what Paul did when he writes about some of his experiences in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In his second letter to the church there, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Here it is. Who comforts us in all of our affliction so that, you want to know why? Why is this happening? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Jesus' suffering, so through him we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Some of you have been at that spot. Maybe some of you are. To, To be so burdened, so pressured, to despair of life itself. Indeed, he says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but, he says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And he goes on to talk about his boast and the testimony of Jesus. What are your experiences? Good, bad, and ugly. You've got them. I do too. 
Do you believe God's word that he will not waste any experience of yours? The good, bad, and the ugly? That if you would yield to him, he would use that to shape you for ministry, to care for other people, maybe in a way and in a unique shape that no one else can. And that it would be for others' good and ultimately your joy as he conforms you fully into the image of his son, Jesus. In the moment, especially the painful things, that's a hard thing to hear and a hard thing to believe. But it's true. And I commend it to you. Let's pray, then we'll sing together. Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, thank you that you don't leave us on our own, but that you, um, you, you take us and you're continually working on our hearts. You're continually changing us and shaping us into the men and women, into the church that, that you would have us be. Father, I pray for those um, who are going through pain right now and an experience of suffering. I pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would be um, the God of all comfort to them. Maybe even in this moment, they would sense your comfort. Knowing that you're in control, that you would um, never leave them or forsake them in the moment of their pain. And that in the end... You promise, even if we don't see it, you, you, you promise not to leave us and, and to use it for our good, even if that good is only learning to rely more on you. So I pray you'd be a great comfort to those who are hurting today. I pray too for each of us, you'd help us see the ways you've orchestrated our lives, that you've um, woven together together every experience, every moment to, to bring us to this point, and, and you're moving us toward uh, becoming more and more like your son, Jesus. Help us yield to that, yield to, uh, to your hand as we're on the wheel and, and you're the potter. As you shape us, help us yield to that and not choose wrong attitudes that would um, cause a wilderness experience, but choose right attitudes that would allow you to shape us and change us into exactly the men and women you would have us be. That as we sang earlier, you'd do what you want to. Ultimately, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for his work on the cross, that um, even in the midst of suffering and pain, we can, we can look to you and have joy. And, uh, yeah. Thanks, Father. We pray all this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.